Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions. Supply. Hello and welcome to the Terraced Scottish Football Podcast. It's an ungodly hour on a Saturday morning, so that can only mean one thing. It's time to get very self-indulgent and talk about things we like, such as movies, books, music, trainers and exercise. My name is Craig Gordon Telfer and today I am joined by three Hearts fans, which probably makes me the pastry in this lunatic jam tart. First up is a man who has too much hair, it's Craig Fowler. Hello. Up next is a man who is running out of here. It's Joel Sked. Thank you. <laughs> and Are you and last up is a man who has plenty of hair but chose to shave it off and grow it all back as part of a cruel joke on Joel. It's Craig. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it was becoming unmanageable. It just had to go. It had to be all or nothing. And all well, that's, uh, but that's good. You, you, have, you have that option. That is an option you can have. Um, I kind of wish I did. A lot of people were doing at the start of uh, lockdown just shaving off their hair. I kind of wish I did that because I've barely seen anyone, and just to see, just to see how it went, because I think I'm good. If I if I shave my hair off, I would either look both like a nonce and uh, more of a nonce and a uh, um, psychopath, and I'm, but I was just too scared that I just won't grow back. It's uh, interesting you're talking about nonces and psychopaths because those are some things that are going to be coming up in uh, today's discussion. But if you listen to these Saturday morning podcasts in the past, you know what's coming up. And if you haven't listened to them before, we're going to talk about something pleasant we've experienced during lockdown, something we are perhaps ambivalent about. We are reviewing a classic movie, and believe me, this is something I'm very much looking forward to. And then we'll finish up by commanding you to listen to some music. 
So we'll start with the something we've experienced, something we've enjoyed, something perhaps we haven't enjoyed. We'll start, Joe, and I know this is sort of becoming an ongoing joke. This really is your first time you've ever done one of these podcasts, isn't it? Good one. Right. The, um, the, the thing that I've been... It is, isn't it? This is the first time you've done this. I'm not falling into your trap, Mister uh, <laughs> Telford. He must have done it then. He must. Have, he must have been on it in the past. I can't remember. That's. But I did it with Duncan Mackay, um, and I'd forgotten he was on. Then I did it the next week with Gary Cocker, and just it's just embarrassing. So I feel. As yeah, well, it's, it's, it's a wee bit. It's a wee bit. Right. Well, I've tried not to make it a bit, and now it is. Now it is a. a, a I hate that word bit. I've heard the the, the the phrase recurring joke. But anyway, listen. Enough about my uh, poor memory, Joe. What have you been experiencing during the lockdown? Quite a few things came to mind. Like I uh, started watching the West Wing again, and uh, there's a few things on top of that. But I, I'm going to go on sports documentaries because I have watched, managed to watch and binge a few, starting with Sunderland till I die, and went through went through that quite quickly. Went through the test, which Duncan talked about on his first appearance, I think, mm-hmm. which follows the Australian cricket team and. The one I've enjoyed the most is Formula One on Netflix. Now, Formula One is one of the two least favourite sports of all time. And I use sport very, very lightly when it comes to Formula One because it's just guys driving around in a circle for a couple of hours. But the the next Netflix documentary, obviously, they've put a lot of money into it because it's Formula One itself and they've really bigged up. But I found it really... Quite, quite fascinating because the action they showed was mainly just crashes and it was the the politics and the kind of machinations behind it, the money is involved, the uh, just the the kind of rivalries. It was, oh, Telfer just uh, vanished. <laughs> I've got to blow my nose. I thought I'd put my microphone on, on mute there while I went and blow my nose so you've embarrassed me now in front of the tens of listeners. Tuning <laughs> in for this. Thank you. So yeah, Formula One, it surprised me because it was my mate who recommended it to me and I thought, this is going to be, this is going to be rubbish, it's Formula One, but it was really interesting, a lot of different characters. Coming away from the, there's two series, coming away from it, there's very few people within Formula One that are likeable, but just in general, sports documentaries is that there's only really one sport I actually like watching, and that's football. Cricket, I actually don't mind don't mind having having it on in the background. So I found the the test really interesting because again, it's following one of the biggest sports teams of all time. But the actual, it's more the process and the story behind these sports, which I find which I find fascinating because you are because I didn't know who was who's going to win the Formula One or who the main players are because I didn't really pay attention to the Ashes when they were following Australia. I didn't know the stories behind it. So that was really interesting. Whereas with football, I'd, I'd rather watch a documentary about a sport that I don't follow than one about football. Because with football, you kind of know the people in it, you know the stories, and really you just want to watch football. So all in all, Sorry, I was going to say the best documentaries are, are, are documentaries that can make you care about a subject that you don't otherwise care about. That's what. Yeah, exactly. That's uh, and I, I do agree with you. I think uh, football documentaries often fall short, and it probably is to do with just the amount of knowledge uh, we have about the game. And I'm, I haven't checked out either of those yet, but uh, I think I might. Although there's just loads of things to, <laughs> to watch, uh, even though I'm stuck in the house all the time and doing nothing but watching stuff. 
So, so, sorry, 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 jump, jump across you there, Fowler. Um, Joe, you said about the Formula One documentary that there weren't a lot of people that you could really get behind. There weren't a lot of likable people. Can you can you kind of expand on that and, and say what was what 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 was dislikable about the so, cast of characters? Lewis Hamilton's a Formula One driver, so there you go. <laughs> There's number one. But believe it or not, so Lewis Hamilton's not in there. You see him in the first the, the first series. The first series kind of follows uh, the kind of lesser lights. And it's only in the second series when you've got Mercedes and uh, Ferrari who come into it and their drivers and the people behind that to speak. And Lewis Hamilton's actually one of the more likable people because he's, he's quite, um, he's, he's, he's just kind of softly spoken and he's, he's, not, he's inoffensive because you can clearly tell he's been media trained. So he doesn't, he's, he's, not as, uh, he's not a huge personality, whereas a lot of others in it are personalized. So the drivers, they've got, um, there's an Australian guy who, there's times I liked him because he was just really outgoing. He was uh, was really open, but he kept on referring to, he kept on calling himself good looking, and it was just it just began to grate. And then there's others who just specifically Scandinavian drivers who just just didn't seem nice people. I, I don't know. I've, I've always thought Scandinavian people are nice, but these I, these I, people are just really really not nice people. It seems. And then there's the the guy who runs. Red Bull dry, uh, racing. He's an English guy. He is, um, well, let's say he's just, he, he, one, one episode follows him shooting, so he's a Tory. And he is Jerry Halliwell's it's other Formula half. One, Joe. I know, I know. I, I don't know why I was surprised by it. I don't know why I was surprised by it. It's not exactly a sport you can get on if you're like lower or working class, is it? Yeah, so they, they <laughs> do, they do. They, representation. They do explore that as well, which I found found pretty interesting because there's like decisions are made where better drivers maybe don't get a space because there's other drivers who have got more money behind them. It's, yep. it's, it's, we wow. really, I, I didn't especially, know anything about that. Especially at a young age, it's yeah. like, uh, you're just closed off if you don't have the money. To pick up on the Scandinavian things, I think Scandinavians just have this very kind of direct nature. I think they just come across as very... Like there's, especially the Finns, I find, there's just no bullshit with them. They just tell it straight up. And I think that comes across as, because we like to pussyfoot ev- around everything in the UK, and I think it just comes across as rude when really they're just a bit more direct than us. Yeah, um, you're, you're probably right there, especially there's a Finnish driver who's very exactly like that. Yeah. F1 is a sport in general, though. Um, I used to have a, an old flatmate who was into it, and... Like what you're saying about cricket, I think it's okay to have on in the background and just kind of let it take your attention when something happens because I, I do find quite a lot of the stuff beyond the driving quite interesting. Yeah. Just when the racing is going on, it tends to be, especially when you get a course like Monaco, whoever's around the first corner or whoever wins the qualifying, sorry, wins the race unless there's rain and everybody crashes. You're right, Craig, what you're talking about there is like the, the tactical element of all is, is quite interesting. Like how you how you plan pit stops, how you d- decide how long a set of tires are, are going to last, how long, uh, how much fuel should go into the car. I, th- I find that quite interesting. In the the sci- the levels of scientific exactitude. I think yeah. that that there's a there's a degree of interest in that as well. And I think that particularly if you're younger, like a wee boy, when you see people driving around fast cars, that's pretty cool. Mm. I, th- I think that when, when you're young, it used to be on BBC One, I'm sure. Like, it used to be part of Grandstand. You would see Formula One on, on BBC One Saturdays and Sundays. I always remain- remembered it from Channel 4, I think. Was it Channel 4? It moved to Channel 4. Subsequently, moved, moved yeah. to Channel 4, but it was BBC. Yeah, yeah. 
So you watch it and you think, wow, this is, this is really cool. But you're right in terms of like supporting a team. Like you could never imagine sort of like getting all the lads around and putting on your Williams hat <laughs> and, and, and cheering on uh, like Nico Rosberg or whoever he, he drives for I'm that. Sure I, I'm sure I've seen on Twitter someone refer to Ferrari as we. <laughs> you're talking about sports that need money to get into and it's oh, I didn't I didn't realise that about I suppose Formula One you need to you, you would need to have money because if you I presume you start go-karting and that's not a, a sort of pursuit that would open itself up to uh, perhaps families that, that come from like lower income backgrounds it's like the bobsleigh or the luge or the toboggan or all these sort of sports are like the, the biathlon I'm sort of just listing off like winter sporting events <laughs> But you never really, you never really, really see um, people kicking around an FK two with their, their skates and their gun. You know, just a a, 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 a real a real pity. Um, Craig Cairns, what have you been uh, experiencing, enjoying, disliking over the past few weeks? I have been enjoying the thought of going to a music festival. Now, I had planned to go to one this year, but then circumstances obviously kiboshed that idea. So I recently bought a Primavera ticket for 2021 and yeah I'm hoping that the UK government will get their shit together by then they've got a year although they have been talking about um, travel corridors recently I mean I can't get to Edinburgh to see my mum at the moment but they're talking about package holidays to Portugal in July so I don't know where their priorities are but hopefully I'll be able just 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 go just go I know just uh, fuck it break the rules um, so I will hopefully be in Barcelona enjoying a music festival for the first time in years. Um, well, I said I went to I went to one in Montreal, but it was just a day, so it wasn't like the full festival experience. So this will be the first kind of full weekend festival I've been to in quite a number of years. I can't remember the last one I went to actually. Have they announced the lineup? They have. So a lot of it's just kind of been shifted from who was supposed to play this year mm. to next year. Uh, the three headliners are, I'll start there, Tame Impala, Strokes, and Tyler the Creator. Quite excited about seeing Tyler the Creator, to be honest. He's, um, he's kind of really at the top of his game at the moment. The Strokes, I tried to listen to that new album, didn't really get into it. I've, I've been meaning to go back and... Uh, I liked the first single of it. It was like completely different what they from what they had done before, but um, I didn't really. Oh, it was the same. It was more of the same. You've got one guitar that sounds like a guitar, another guitar that sounds like a synthesizer. Oh, it's no, no, at the door, at the door. Maybe it was the second one then. Sorry. I I, I think as a as a band, I know that that. It doesn't have a guitar in it, does it? Maybe I've listened to the rock mail, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, it must be a different song. The second one, they really sounded much more like what they had done in the past. Right, that's, I just find the strokes, it's the, they don't have all that much to offer anymore. The, the, the first album is amazing, 10 out of 10 album. The second album has got some really interesting moments on it. It's a pretty good album. But then since then, it's all just really, you know, see if they'd packed in like after the second album. You'd be, you'd, I thought we'd be talking about them like as yeah. one of the greatest bands of all time. But That's I'm saying, it to be, oh, the first album was good, but then, you know. You'd, you'd like to think they've got a cracking festival set in them, though. As long as they don't play too much from the new album, you'd like to think that uh, that would be a cracking festival set. You say we're going to play Angles in its entirety. <laughs> I, saw them, I, I saw them at Hyde Park, which was kind of a festival setting, uh, and they were very good. Uh, yeah, it's kind of... The Strokes, as you were talking there, it kind of reminded me of the George Harrison line from The Simpsons when uh, the Barbershop Quartet are singing on top of the roof, uh, Let It Be style, and he just gets out of the car and just says, it's been done. 
I think that's, <laughs> I think that's how you can sum up the strokes uh, in their kind of the height of their powers. It's been done. I saw them at Leeds in 2002. The, again, the festival they were headlining, but Julian Casablancas had broken his leg, so he he was on a stool for the whole. Oh, yeah, uh, God, I remember, I remember that he had to big, do the whole, uh, big stookie. And a few years before that, when they were touring, is this it? Is this it? I saw them at the Corn Exchange, probably the worst venue I could have seen them in in Scotland, but still, it was uh, it was great to see them around that time. Brilliant. So, what, as, a, as a festival, Craig, I'm, I'm going to put this, and I'm putting this as diplomatically as possible. Are you not a wee bit too old to be going to music festivals? <laughs> I think this one doesn't have I mean, sorry, I'm including, I would include all of us. Maybe, Joe, you're just, and I mean this just, just on that threshold, but it's perhaps still acceptable for the, for the Craigs in this conversation. No, I, not, I don't think, European ones, no. I think they're a bit more, from what I've, uh, um, from my limited, limited knowledge of music <laughs> festivals, they're a bit more sophisticated. And I think they're, because uh, the one I went to in Bilbao last year, there, would, uh, there wasn't a lot of really young folk, as you'd expect, in a UK festival. I don't on know, on behalf like of old cunts everywhere, I'm very offended by that question. Listen, Craig, it's, uh, there'll, be, there'll come the stage when you'll be in the ballot box and you know, thought, well, you, know think, you know what, I think they're right, I think they do have some good ideas and you'll put that little X in the box <laughs> the Conservative and Unionist Party and Craig, you won't realise you're doing it. You won't even realise you're doing it. I was going to say I was registered blind I was going to shout out, which one for out? And then a, a cheer would go up from the waiting. <laughs> <laughs> for Primavera, you s- s- do you just stay in Barcelona for that? I, like, I believe so. I believe so. I've not looked that much into it, Joel. I, I, I usually, I buy tickets and then do the arranging after. That, that's how I ended up in Canada. Decided I was going, bought a flight, and then worked out the rest after that. So, um, <laughs> similar to this, to be honest. I don't think it's a camping festival. I think you just stay in the city and, and visit each day. Very big uh, Mike Gandalf vibes there to that one. You come slap out your passport and a snake bite kit. <laughs> I, can't, I can't remember very fun, good episode of Friends um, I have I've, I've really enjoyed I've been watching a lot of movies I seem to every time we do this I seem to preface this with I've been watching a lot of movies recently um, and I, I watched a lot of movies by Paul Thomas Anderson he came into the discussion last week and one of the things that I really like about him particularly his, his first few movies he tended to work with a lot of the, the same actors in a lot of his movies so you had John C. Reilly Philip Baker Hall, Melora Walters, and, and one of them uh, that, that appeared in his in five of his eight movies is, is Philip Seymour Hoffman. And I just really wanted to say that I really, really like Philip Seymour Hoffman, and I think he is a much-missed presence in, in cinema. Uh, I watched The Master on Friday night, sorry, Friday last week, and it's absolutely superb. I don't know if anyone here has seen it. But he's, yeah, so yeah, he's, he's he's tremendous, and it sort of plays a, a version of L. Ron Hubbard, who yeah. founded Scientology, and he's a, a charismatic cult leader who seems to be making things up as he's going along. And it's a great performance. Him and Joaquin Phoenix are, are tremendous in it. I, I, after I watched them, um, the master I went on onto Wikipedia and I looked through Philip Seymour Hoffman's. Um, filmography and, and, and the stuff that he made and I, I can't pr- pr- profess to have seen all his stuff but everything I've seen him in I th- think he's tremendous it's like in The Big Lebowski he plays Brant who's like sort of Jeff Lebowski's uh, aide his confidant who's really funny in that there's that line where Bunny Lebowski tells the dude 
I'll suck your dick for a thousand bucks. And his reaction, <laughs> <laughs> wonderful woman. We're all very fond of her. You know, it's brilliant. And he's in, he's really good in the 25th hour. He sort of play. he's got quite a pathetic, washed out quality to him in that, 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 that sort of is, is lusting after Anna Paquin, uh, so that's how you pronounce it, as his, his female student. He was very good in the talented Mr. Ripley, and even in a really mediocre comedy like Along Came Polly, he's really, really funny in that as his, uh, as his best mate Sandy. I like some of the stuff in it, like when they're playing basketball together. Um, and he can make a joke about sharting funny. That's, that's like, it's probably lowest common denominator stuff. But he's he's so good at, uh, at making that 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 seem that seem funny. So yeah, just a real shout out to to Philip Seymour Hoffman and God rest his soul. But he was he really was uh, everything I've seen him in tremendous. Capote, I want to add to that. He was very good. Capote. I don't think I've exhausted the movies that he's been in or anything like that. I could probably name on one hand the films I've seen Philip Seymour Hoffman in. But Capote is another one that I really enjoyed him in. Oh, he got an Oscar for that, didn't he? Oh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Yeah, he must have done. I think he did. Yeah, that'd be great, Phil. If you could maybe put down your phone for a second and join the discussion. Well, I was going to look uh, for more uh, films. You <laughs> <Hoffman> were films. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I was uh, in. I'm just, sorry, I'm just looking through his. Uh, he's l- looking through his filmography. It was in Twister. Yeah, and I remember. <laughs> I remember him in Twister because he plays. He does. He, he doesn't play uh, like a, a serious character. That came to know him play but it was like just like a really geeky guy but yeah. I, I think it just over his career he's a, he just seems like a very very versatile and talented actor the, 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 the thing I suppose it was, I talked about the master but the one that actually got me got me thinking it's a really really sweet performance he was in Magnolia talked about Paul Thomas Anderson there but he plays his character's name Phil Parma and he's just like a, a sort of palatal is that it palatal palatal care fucking hell man nightmare Palliative care, thank you. Jeez, oh. He works in palliative care and he's working with a, a dying man, working for a dying man, and he wants to be put in touch with his son, uh, who's played by Tom Cruise. And, and just it's a very sweet and tender performance, and, and he's, he's, he's very good in that. Craig Fowler, you've put down your telephone and you begin to look at me uh, tentatively. What do you I, was, uh, I was doing research for uh, uh, <laughs> what I was going to talk about. Uh, so the kind of thing I've been getting stuck into this last week is, and I could have maybe done this for On The Fence, is season three of Killing Eve. Anybody watch Killing Eve or watch season three? I, just, just seen the first series, which I right. really enjoyed. What I've heard, what, I've, what I understand is that the the impression I've got from from just seeing people talk about it online for a lot, and I don't know if this is if that's in your opinion. First series good, first series excellent. Second series okay, cool. Third series jump the shark. Hey, I'm actually I'm actually enjoying this series more than I uh, enjoyed season two. I think it's a uh, it's certainly. And that's why I'm a bit ambivalent about it is because season one, like you say, was excellent. And I think it should have ended at the end of season one. Uh, that should have been it. And instead, it's kind of gone on. And season two, uh, whilst uh, enjoyable, uh, didn't really add anything. And I think you can maybe say the same about this. doesn't necessarily have to happen. And there's some... Uh, kind of character development that you I'm kind of thinking is maybe pushing a little too hard, although I think there is uh, a season four uh, planned as well. Uh, but at the same time, it's just quite enjoyable TV. It's Like I say, it's not really, unlike the first series, it's not really kind of breaking any sort of ground. It's just kind of going over things, same themes, but they're all quite enjoyable. I mean, it's, you know, you've got your kind of, your, it's about, you know, a, a 
or the hit, hit man, or a hit man, a hit woman, basically, a professional killer, uh, played excellently by uh, Jodie Comer, uh, and she's she's uh, remains en- endlessly entertaining in her role, uh, and it's yeah. So there's there's that sort of action. There's also good comedy, and there's a lot of great performances. So I mentioned Judy Comer. It's also Sandra O's uh, good all the way through it. Uh, Fiona Shaw's very good. It's kind of her boss, uh, kind of uh, emotionally stunt, uh, stunted boss, and uh, of course as well. That's what I was looking up. I bloody forgot his name already. I was actually looking it up, but I've forgotten it. Uh, the guy who played Martin in the Killing, no, not the Killing, the Bridge. Uh, Kim Bod Bodnia. I'll show you a photo so you, you will recognise him. Uh, he's he's just great to watch as well. So it's kind of on the one hand, I'm like, did this deserve to be made? And on the other hand, I'm like, ah, oh, fuck it, who cares? I'm I'm just enjoying it anyway. And there's an episode where uh, uh, Villeneuve or oh, fuck, I can't remember her alter ego name um, goes back. So that's a uh, uh, Comer's character, Jodie Comer's character. She goes to find her family, and it's like a whole episode of her finding our, our family that she was lost from and kind of connected, reconnected with them. And in the end, it's, well, not, I don't want to say in the end, but you kind of just, the entire episode is so tense because everything she does, even when she tries to act normal, it usually ends up in her killing somebody. Uh, so you're kind of like, you're watching all these kind of tender moments and stuff. He's like, oh, fuck, when is this going to go wrong? <laughs> it's like, is it this scene? Is it this scene where they're asking her to dance? Is it this season where they're introducing, this scene where they're introducing her to other people? It's like, when's the mask going to slip? And I was just like on the edge of my seat for the entire episode, like 40 minutes. So that was that was very enjoyable. Like I say, there's parts of it are very enjoyable. Did it, should it be made? Not necessarily in it's an important piece of pop culture, but it still, for me, passes the time and it's very enjoyable. And the, uh, that's that's a uh, this is the actor I was talking about. Yeah. Oh, that's great! Great podcast material there. So like, <laughs> no, I, I don't don't recognise him. Uh, but from from the I first, don't recognise him either. Have you not? Have you not seen? anybody here not seen season one of the bridge? Nah. Oh, for fuck's sake! Get season <laughs> one of the bridge. Watch outstanding. The after uh, season one of Killing Eve, I think there was definitely material so left to work with to have uh, at least a second season because like you just described there exploring the background of Jodie Comer's uh, character I think that that was something that could have been explored maybe that could have been done in season two uh, a bit more in depth yeah that's kind of just been done in season three I can't even think anything in season two that done that she just basically kills a lot more and uh, becomes increasingly more infatuated with uh, Sandra O's character um whose name I blanked on as well and it's, it's just it's just kind of rehab it's just kind of the season two for me was season one just kind of turned up to a, a little bit more yeah I only watched the first episode of the first series and I actually enjoyed it but it was I was talking to a girl on Bumble at the time who said you should really get into it so just trying to strike up a conversation I watched it and I was like oh yeah this is really good then we stopped talking and never went back to back to watch it yeah. I, I, I want to um, agree with what Fyler was saying, although I think in general, what you were saying about the first series, you would have been happy if it had just finished there. I find that with a lot of things that I watch now. I remember most notably Westworld when it came out, I watched the first series of that and I absolutely loved it. It was right up my street. I think ethics surrounding AI and all these kind of things. And the ending of it, I just of the first series, I just thought was perfect. And I, I remember thinking to myself, that could just end there. It leaves enough to the imagination, and then it's perfect. It's a perfect series. It was one of the best things I'd watched in, in years. And then, um, yeah, they, they 
they just can't not kick the arse out of something that's successful. Remember Lost? Lost was supposed to be, it was originally written as three series or something like that. Mm-hmm. The popularity of the first series means they stretched it out for six series and it was filled with nonsense, utter nonsense. So, uh, yeah, it, it really annoys me when they, when they chase the dollar rather than have some fucking artistic merit. There's, there's very few... F- there's very very few programs that do know when to just draw the line. I remember watching like the two I compared to. I don't know if you've seen them. They're on HBO or Sky Atlantic, and it was Banshee and Ray Donovan. Like Ray Donovan, and I think still when I stopped watching it, is uh, follows a kind of uh, the fixer, uh, is it not? Yeah, kind of fixer, and they 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 just really stretched out. Whereas Banshee was just three uh, three series, I think it was of just uh, it was just pace of. Killing, sex, um, polit- like uh, politicians, uh, betrayal, everything. But they just they just fit in, and they just knew when to end it. It's uh, oh. like again, Walking Dead. Fucking hell! What one of these words is not like the other? Uh, <laughs> killings, sex, betrayal, politicians. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's on the lads are after. It's one though, in, in a kind of weird way. It's like it's like Game of Thrones. I don't know if any of you guys watched that, but Game of Thrones sort of ended. Game of Thrones really lost its way. It was eight series, and it sort of kind of lost its way about from season five onwards. It wasn't as good, and and the big thing was that that George R. R. they ran out of source material. You know, it was based on George R. R. Martin's books, and when they didn't have that, they kind of used his ideas and sort of like a framework that he created to to hang these stories on. It just it just wasn't as good. It wasn't as as well developed, and you were just waiting for the White Walkers to. It was just just waiting and waiting for them. The dialogue was terrible after it outstripped the books. The dialogue became shocking. Ah, it was. It was bad, but you're right, actually. The dialogue was really poor. But it sort of it became, like, I'm sure it was, like, David Benioff and Dan Weiss, that the showrunners were going to work for Star Wars. They were going to develop a thing for Star Wars on the, on the Disney um, streaming service. And so I'm sure, if this is apocryphal or not, forgive me, but... HBO had said to him, listen, this show is popular. This show is one of the most popular shows in the world. You can have more money. You can develop it for more seasons. It's finally like, nope, we want it all wrapped up uh, by season eight. So the, the end in season eight was, was pretty unsatisfactory. Rushed. It was rushed. Uh, you kind of characters jumping from, from like here to here in the space of like a couple of scenes. And it's yeah. sort of like you've not, you've not really earned that. And I think that's, uh, that's what was quite frustrating about it. But I think going back to the point you're making, Joel, it's, it's it's good if things can. It must be so hard though to 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 bow out, at, find the right time to bow out because especially when you get a big check sent to you. Yeah, exactly. I was saying there's money reasons. You might think, well, I can develop this further. Um, there's there's like a whole host of reasons for for people wanting to for people wanting to continue something. I mean I remember like like the office. Like the office finished perfectly. the office yeah. was perfect. And then a couple of years later David Brent as Ricky Gervais exhumes David Brent for a like a, a comedy thing. I'm sure it was like comic relief and then brings him back again for um for the movie which was absolutely rubbish. And it just came like it doesn't it doesn't sully what's gone before. It doesn't change it, but you kind of think you had it perfect. And then you've got this extra bit here that's been bolted onto the end. That's, that's part of it now. You can't really separate them. If you know what I mean, I'm not really saying that very well. Anyway, yeah. well, right. Just, just forget it. Just let's just stop this podcast. 
The um, compare that to just to finish up on this. Um, compare that to the American one because the British one knew went apart from the the exception of the the life on the road. The the UK one and UK comedies are better at this. Knew when to stop. Knew when to finish. Knew that was enough. The American one kicked the arse out of it until nobody was watching it anymore. Even when the star of the show that had been carrying it for about four seasons um, left, he still tried to carry on with it, and it nope. became terrible. No, was do that. Is there any is there any American show you can think of that's like perfect all the way through and it didn't go at least one season too long yeah yeah there you go what I would say though was quite good was Always Sunny in Philadelphia I, I think that is sort of something that that really maintained a, a high level all the way through I don't think that the, the latter like season 13 or the finale for season 13 was incredible when Mac uh, performs that dance in the in prison that really came out of nowhere that was absolutely stunning but, but I, I think that is a, a season that, that generally had a, a high mark of quality as it as it went on, but anyway, <laughs> we've talked about things that we like. Let's talk about things that we don't like, or things that we we don't give a solitary f about. I'll start with uh, start with yourself, Craig Cairns. What are you on the fence about? I am on the fence about quirky sitcom The Good Place. Has anybody seen it? Yes, I've watched it all. So I I'm not through. What did you say, Joe? One episode. Okay, was that how good it was? I, yeah. I'm making my way through the first series at the moment. Um, I, I'm sceptical about the premise of it, I have to say. But will what it is the premise? For those of us who haven't watched it, Craig, what happens in it? Is a, a woman dies and she goes to heaven. So it's basically set in heaven. And, um, but it turns out that she has been mistaken for somebody else and she's not supposed to be in heaven. Uh-oh. So... I mean, to, to give it its due, it does have a storyline going through throughout it. Uh, I'd say probably like a stronger storyline from episode to episode than most sitcoms have. Um, so there's that, there's that kind of hook there. Uh, the lead in it, she's absolutely amazing. Uh, Kirsten Bell. Kristen Bell? Kirsten? Kristen. Kristen Bell. Uh, that um, tone deaf, I take responsibility video aside, um, she, she's excellent in that. <laughs> That's got nothing oh, to do with this performance, is it? But that video was fucking terrible. Oh man, it's celebrities just don't know, do they? It's just it's so, it's like, remember like it was Andy Harrell put it in the Terrace group chat, I'm watching it, it's a bit where Aaron Paul takes that, that big pause, I take responsibility, like, no, that's it, that's it, I'm, I'm out, man, it's so, you're watching it through your fingers, man, it's, 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 I think it comes from a good place, no pun intended, but man, it's just so bad, it was, I don't think it, was it as bad as the Imagine video? No, no, no. not as bad as, uh, as, as, uh, no, it was as bad as that, as, as really, and I'm not going to go there, right, even, uh, that pe- even that Pepsi video starring uh, the, one of Jenner's, uh, even that wasn't as bad as the Imagine video. Yeah, that got taken down pretty quickly, didn't it? Of course, it was fucking ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so who, knows, who knows, it might have fixed racism if they'd left. <laughs> you know what? Like, racism once and for all. <laughs> right, so back to the good place. Detour, detour over. Um, I, I quite like, there's lots of kind of philosophy references in it and um, uh, mentions of philosophy and things like that, which I quite like. Um, but I'm, I'm not a fan of a couple of the characters. And one of the things, I'm quite particular when it comes to sitcoms. Um, or I can be and there's some do you know when sitcoms have this kind of artificialness to it everybody's got this kind of look on their face like they've overdosed on Prozac and they've they, um, and, and, and they can act or say something absolutely crazy and all the other characters will just not 
not bat an eyelid, and it's just it's just so kind of fake. I, I I'm I'm put off by like, Ro- like Ross from season five to like season ten of Friends. There's lots of comedies that do it. There's lots of comedies that do it, and I, I just it just turns me off. And this has a little bit of that to it. For instance, there's um, it's a character you don't like, uh, Jason Mendoza. Yes, there's yeah. two, um, and he. He's too, he's too stupid for anybody to have ever been that stupid ever in the history of the world. That's it. Yet his character isn't supposed to be there either and nobody's noticed yet, even though he's the thickest guy in it. And he can't say a sentence without contorting his face this weird way. I just, I, I just can't go on at all. And the other one I'm not a fan of is Jamila Jamil. Mm. She not only isn't very funny, she can't act. She's a terrible actor. So um, I, just, I just can't go hard either in it. Yeah, I was surprised actually I, I, to see that, that she was involved in it. I mean, I remember she was a pretty good presenter. Was it T was it T four she did or the she took over from Simon Simon Armstrong McKee to Oliver Popwell? It, it was T four, yeah. It was T four. She I thought she was uh, she was pretty she was really good in that. I didn't realise she had um, the comedic chops to make it on a, a popular sitcom. It's, uh, I, I quite enjoyed The Good Place. I watched all of it. Uh, I, think the first, I thought the first season was really good. I thought the second season was pretty good as well. It kind of loses its way a little after that, but you kind of... I enjoyed it enough. I liked, um, I liked Kristen Bell's character, uh, Eleanor Shellstrop, and uh, her kind of love interest, uh, Chidi, Chidi Ad- Adagonye, uh, played by William Jackson Harper, who's also in... who's uh, the black guy in Midsommar. Uh, and they're they're both very good together. Uh, Ted Danson is brilliant in it, uh, as is uh, Darcy Carden. Yeah, she plays Janet. It's kind of like a a kind of sentient kind of AI that uh, eventually kind of gradually develops kind of human feelings as the the show goes on. Uh, they're yeah. all very good, and they all make it watchable throughout. The story kind of gets away for you. And yeah, there are a few bum notes. It's not the best thing in the uh, in the world, but it's I found it quite pleasant to watch throughout. Uh, the biggest problem I have with it is the kind of is the main two characters. I don't know how far you're into it, Craig, but there's a whole kind of will-they-won't-they thing going on with them two love. And they just don't... They have good chemistry together as kind of friends on screen. They don't really have any chemistry at all as a couple. And they kind of push that throughout the entire show. And you're kind of like, I'm not even sure I'm that... I'm really rooting for them to get together because it's not... It doesn't. It's not like other programmes where you're... It's not like Don and Tim where you're kind of dying on them and you, and you know these two kind of belong together. It's It's... Yeah, it's just kind of more forced. And at least yeah. in the office, they when Don and Tim got together, he, that was it. You don't yeah. need to see their hilarious scrapes together, um, like in 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 Wernham Hogger, or wherever if she becomes a, a children's illustrator. Um, you know, you know, the thing. This is me on the fence with, it, and this is it's not so much. This was not so much pop culture, just culture in general. But I'm going to talk about like vigilante paedophile gangs. <laughs> Hey, they're on social media. That's uh, that's on social media. So I'll, I'll tell you. I'll tell you the the, the, the story. My my, I've got to say, my running with a vigilante. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, we're on the laptop. Running knocked on your door. <laughs> no, on on Tuesday night at, at six pm, about a hundred yards from from where I stay, I could hear sort of shouts coming from the main road. And I, you know, I didn't think much of it. The, the across the road from where I stay, it's got a reputation for perhaps being being a bit rough in parts. Uh, but so I, I was out in Glasgow and came back about quarter past nine, and I could still hear the shouts going on. 
I went a different so I went a different way to to, to Glasgow. I could hear the shouts going. I could see um, sort of blue flashing lights coming from the main road. So I went on Twitter to to see what what was happening. I typed in the the, the name of the area, and all the the, the tweets were about uh, a a paedophile had allegedly been housed on a street on the main road. This is one of the main thoroughfares into Falkirk. I'd been housed on the main road and there was a gang of people congregating outside to, I, I don't know, to, to get him out or, 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 or whatever. And a woman called Big Ange was, was live streaming the event on Facebook and I watched, I must have watched it for about like 40 minutes or so. And in the 40 minutes, nothing happened. I mean, the, the, the paedophile wasn't even in there or certainly the police said that the paedophile wasn't and that this alleged paedophile wasn't in there. I thought you were talking about the video at first. <laughs> Good minute, I didn't even get to see the paedophile. <laughs> but but that's the thing. So so the, the the police cordoned off the road and waited for a joiner to come and board up the house. And I, I cycled past it earlier this morning, and the house is still boarded up. Boarded up. Uh, someone ordered a McDonald's. A, a pizza delivery guy pitched up to the paedophile, the alleged paedophile's house. A guy took his top off and had a dance. And, and this woman, Big Ange, she really seemed to be reveling in the fact that so many people were tuning in to, to her live stream on Facebook. At one point, she had 15,000 viewers. She was advertising her TikTok. She was advertising her friend's business. She kept encouraging people, like like and, and leave a comment and, and, and follow me. She really seemed to be getting a kick out of the whole thing. And it really got me wondering what, the, I mean, it must have been about like 80-odd people at its peak were congregating on the main road, this main thoroughfare into Falkirk. And it got me thinking, what did they want? What did they want? Did they want to see a guy dragged from his house and sort of fed to this mob? Did they want a, a quick glimpse of him as he was being huckled into the back of a police van and, and, and drove away? And I, I really can't get my head around that that sort of thinking. So it, it kind of it, it got me thinking as well. I mean, for, for convicted I don't know if this is probably a bit too heavy for, for the sort of stuff we're talking about, but like convicted sex offenders, if they're, you've got people have to stay somewhere and you think, I'm thinking, well, I, I can't understand why these people are outraged, but then by the same token, you wouldn't be particularly happy if uh, someone uh, who had a fairly checkered background and a, a criminal record moved in next to you. And it, yeah, it's, it's, it it's a bit... Was, yeah, so just touching on what you said there, it's a very difficult one because none of us are parents, so you, can, you can't, like, my view is that they have to live, they have to live somewhere. I'm not going to go down your dad route and kind of uh, lock them up, throw away the key, or uh, bring back capital punishment. But then I can understand where they're on the other, uh, other side, where you've got parents and they just don't want these people, these criminals, living in areas where their children are, out and about and playing. From what I've been told is, I think Falkirk has quite a, the, the, the council areas, quite a uh, large number of them compared to other council areas. No, all right, cool. Uh, yeah, just, 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 just to let you know that. <laughs> but I was, I was uh, being told by, uh, about this, uh, um, a kind of a friend of a friend kind of thing. The um, person's uh, mum uh, is a vigil at, uh, Kind of vigilante pedo hunter, and apparently in uh, I think uh, Falkirk there's there, there's quite a few, and uh, there's been a rivalry between <laughs> between the vigilantes, and it, it got compared to it's like the Tiger King of pedo hunters. 
<laughs> Somebody get the phone to Netflix right away. It's the sort of thing where, where it's like the, the vigilante paedophile hunter. That's that's another thing because I'm sure I listened to a, a, it was a Guardian in Focus podcast. Yeah, listen to the same one. I did. I think it was with the Wolf Pack, who are a, a sort of Scottish. They're the, the perhaps the UK's most prominent. Uh, vigilante paedophile hunter network and they say that, that the police would never admit to it but off the record the police are actually grateful for the amount of work that they do and the the, the evidence that they provide it's all the sort of stuff that comes along with that like the live streaming the public shaming i don't that is something i, I'm, I quite i find difficult to get my head around is that why you would want to see someone and obviously the crimes are heinous there's no getting away from that that's that like like convicted child abuse is absolutely absolutely horrendous but the 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 bloodlust and wanting to film these people because you can you get it wrong you ruin someone's life yeah you know that's that's the thing you get it wrong you stream someone's uh someone's face to tens of thousands of people on facebook and it's not the right person what do you do and I suppose you kind of get into well, you've, you you could have ruined someone else's life. So I I don't know, I don't know. But that was the sort of thing that, that got me thinking. I was sort of awake. I turned off the feed about like back at eleven because nothing was happening, and I could still sort of hear the the shouts from my house faintly. And just sort of thinking, James, I I don't what what would what would make these people happy? People out there with kids who were like about like looked as though they were six or seven. There was. A guy in Scotland uh, recently, his lawyer, I'm sure it was Gordon Jackson as well, the guy who defended Alex Salmond and who um, had to recuse himself from the Faculty of Advocates. I think he was the chief of the faculty. Yeah, he was, aye. And because of um, things he was saying on a train about that that case. Um, The defence was, so it's about this paedophile who... Uh, was convicted after a vigilante gang went after him. So they started talking to him on one of these sites, pretending to be a 13-year-old girl or whatever, and then arranged to meet him and filmed it. And that's how he ended up getting the police onto him and convicted. And his uh, defense is that that was like an invasion of his privacy or something like that. And so they're trying to get his conviction overturned because of that, which I think is like, I don't know, I think that's quite, Dodgy, a dodgy case to take on, let's say. Um, but to answer one of the questions that you were uh, brought up earlier, uh, Telfer, I think I think people are just bored and angry at the moment. I don't think. I'm not saying that pedophiles don't deserve like this kind of uh, action where it's where it's where it's due. But um, I think I think a lot of this has happened with the George Floyd protests as well. I'm not trying to downplay the significance of that. I still think that if it hadn't have been that incident, it would have been another incident in the future, which sparked more riots, because this thing's going to keep happening until some real change happens. But I think the George Floyd uh, mixed in with the current lockdown that people are in, people saw an opportunity to get out on the streets and do something exciting. And yeah. um, I think this might feed into that as well. I think, I think it's probably partly motivated by that as well. I, I want to stress I'm not downplaying the significance of the George oh. Floyd protest. I just think that it has been heightened because of the, the pandemic. Yeah, I, 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 it's, it's hard to say. I, I just think that, I think people would have been out in the streets regardless, or that people would have congregated outside this guy's house regardless. I, I just, that's the, the mindset of, of, uh, of, of that. And then you're right, as, as Joe said, you don't, we, we don't have kids, so it might be, might be different, but I, com- very, very complicated issue to, 
to try and square that particular circle, there's no, uh, there's perhaps no right answer, but certainly just uh, gathering out in the street and closing off the main road into uh, a fairly large town. Better ways to handle it. To, to finish, to finish on a light note. Sorry, to have I got told about one of the videos. Uh, apparently, not the one you were watching, but a, a previous one is uh, the person who they were kind of filming um, pushed a guy, and apparently he, he just he did this overly dramatic fall, a la Paul Alcock when he got <laughs> pushed by Paolo <laughs> Decano, and then someone off screen just like, oh, he's pushed one of the team members. <laughs> <laughs> What we're here, Joe. Uh, what are what are you on the fence about? I've got, I've got two options. Let me know what you want to uh, talk about: Joe Wicks or the West Wing music. Go with Joe Joe Wicks. Okay. <clears throat> uh, so Joe Wicks is uh, someone who uh, I followed on Instagram for ages. I've bought a lot of his books. His fitness his fitness stuff's not overly interested me, but his why his why, not, why is it not interested you? You're uh, why is this stuff not caught your eye? Uh, Fitness-wise, just like his workouts on YouTube and stuff, uh, I don't. I've done a few of them. Don't enjoy them. Don't find them uh, overly overly challenging. I suppose though that his workouts will be designed for just like fat people, people who for, for the masses, in. not people who could run ten uh, k's in about fucking twelve minutes or whatever. <laughs> So I mean, so leaving that the fitness side uh, thing aside, uh, it's always as bashful, Joe. You should be proud of how fit you are. We are. <laughs> his um, his recipes I think found really useful, really easy to uh, to make, and I think they were really good. Uh, like when it first came out, really good, and it, it showed people that you can cook healthy, uh, nutritious food without spending too much, without spending too long in the kitchen. You can batch batch cook, and uh, the whole message is really good. So that's how he built his Instagram profile. He'd throw up recipes basically in like 15 seconds or 30 seconds on Instagram. So it kind of just shows you how a uh, simple concept is put, uh, to put together. But obviously, oh, he... Stuff too, it's sort of just like it's just, it's just chucked in, and it's all just really quick cuts. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's quite impressive. So, like, even that, and then the, the the cookbooks. You don't have to get you have to get too much. You don't have to spend too much time in the kitchen. And obviously, he's grown his business. His business is huge. I've read some stuff about his his general fitness plans, where they are um, to get into such good shape. Uh, good shape. It's not as easy as maybe he portrays. But now, obviously, he's going down the route of. Um, like the PE, PE stuff, and that's that. I think that's fantastic. He's he's got kids and families involved, and it just um, to keep them fit. And I think it's very noble. He wants to get into, want to get in schools, and basically teach youngsters about the next. Um, basically, give them good advice on eating and staying healthy, and that, that's noble because the obesity rate in the UK is is is, is wild. But then there's other side of him is that um, um, Rob mentioned that I've not I've not seen an interview where he um, he praised uh, Margaret Thatcher. But uh, leaving leaving that leaving that aside, it's just his general persona. Uh, so I still follow him on Instagram, and he doesn't do these uh, videos, but he, he does a lot of stuff on his profile pictures. And the guy is eating himself. He is trying to generally he pretends to be David Brent constantly. And uh, it's 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 very 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 difficult to watch and very very cringeworthy. How do you mean, Joe? Go and explain yourself. So he is he's like he's he's created a slowly but surely, well not slowly, quite quickly over the the 
uh, kind of lockdown period, he's created a, a, a personality for himself. So I think he's created a personality that uh, kids will like. So he's just, he's basically, do, he does a lot of David Brink and his like quirks. And he's just, um, he's tried to move them on. And it's, it's just hard to watch. So he like quotes them or he does it in like the... Um, so he's constantly quoting them or he's just like mannerisms and faces and but he's just like expanded on them okay yeah, so I suppose he's he's probably he's probably created a character like Joe Wicks the character that all these uh, kids and stuff can, can get behind I think that is it must be difficult to try and be all things to all people but he seems to have Certainly, successfully uh, over the certainly over the last few weeks, becoming a sort of like fairly well-known fitness uh, guru to sort of becoming something who's really got tapped into the public, uh, the public consciousness. So to try and yeah, I, I think the reason I kind of on the fence about him is that because I've when I first started following him, he's, he's just moved away from that, and it's just like uh, it's completely different to what he was when he first. I mean, it's 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 probably something he's had to do. It kind of maybe goes back to what we talked about bands. We talk about strokes or uh, TV series where he just, he can't keep doing the same thing. Yeah. You have to have to change up. But uh, as, as it's, it's for me, it's hard to continue to follow him on social media. Okay. That's, uh, so when Joe Wicks can expect an angry tweet saying, guess what, Joe, you've just lost a follower. Joe, <laughs> <laughs> really, this this isn't this isn't me on the fence. This isn't me just being really really petty. <laughs> Fowler, this is your chance to be a bit petty as well. What are you on the fence about? I'm on the fence about whether actors uh, going full method, putting themselves through hell, deserves award recognition more than actors who don't. I presume then this is off the back of Leonardo DiCaprio's 2016 Oscar for The Revenant, where he and the rest of the crew seem to go through hell. Just to, for, for, for realism. Yes, yeah, so uh, yeah, that, that's exactly where it comes from because I watched The Reverend for the first time. Is it? Uh, quite, quite, quite recently. <laughs> and I was like, get at the end of it, I was like, really? This is, this is what he won his Oscar for? Like the, all the kind of memorable uh, performances and really kind of captivating performances of Leonardo DiCaprio's career. And he wins for a film where he basically wheezes and grunts for two Doesn't and a half speak. hours. Yeah. <laughs> It's like when Scorsese finally got an Oscar. They're like, oh, yeah, for the fucking departed. One. We've, we've missed out so many times. We have to give him one. So we'll give him one for his ninth best movie. If you're lucky. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, yeah, and it's just, I kind of, I, I'm on the fence about it because I can't make up my mind about it because I'm kind of, because I, I looked at the other kind of, uh, kind of big Oscar films that year and I, I was struggling to kind of go like because I, I watched it and I was like really an Oscar for that and then I kind of looked at the other ones I was like well there was no really any standout performances in the male category for me that year the female category was a lot better I had uh, Charlie Theron uh, for Mad Max Fury Road uh, Saoirse Ronan was really good in Brooklyn and uh, Brie Larson who ended up winning the Oscar for her uh, turn in Room which was excellent as well and so those, those were really kind of standout ones the female side there wasn't really one for the male so I thought well if there isn't that kind of role that's just so uh, something that's spellbinding, something you can't take your eyes off, then maybe give it to the guy who fucking ate a, a bit of uh, liver raw and threw up and fucking uh, crawled ah, and was no freezing wrong. for months and stuff like that. You got raped uh, by a bear. Because there is the kind of thing of putting yourself through that for your 
for your kind of passion and that uh, maybe does deserve to be rewarded but at the same time I always treat best acting performances and the ones that kind of draw you into the film more and you know captivate you and make you forget about the fact that you're, you're watching a movie and really kind of immerse you in the world and the Reverend uh, and Leo's performance really didn't do that so uh, yeah on the fence can't make up my mind one way or the other what about in terms of method acting I've, 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 one of my favourite actors is, is uh, and it's like not like a, a controversial thing is like Daniel Day-Lewis obviously you know he's an absolutely phenomenal actor and, and he was sort of well known for his, his method acting performances for instance when he did um, My Left Foot he insisted on staying in character all the time he was uh, I, I think he had cerebral palsy his character so he insisted on being in his wheelchair all the time and uh, crew members would have to actually physically lift him he also, he also learned to paint with his feet. There, there you go. What a talent. Um, I can't even paint and I've got with, with two hands. Uh, on top of that, when he did uh, There Will Be Blood, he stayed in the character of, of Daniel Plainview. And apparently, uh, the, the, one of the stories at the time, the actor who was cast as Eli Sunday, he was Daniel Day-Lewis was so intimidating towards They play sort of rivals in the movie, for anyone that's not seen it, Eli Sunday and Daniel Plainview. He was so intimidating towards them that the, well, that was one of the reasons why the actor uh, quit the project and was replaced by Paul Dano. So That's a, that's, that's maybe a reason why these, uh, these type of performances shouldn't just be rewarded because of what they put themselves through. Because Daniel Day-Lewis ones... He's doing it to, to get the best performance out of it, kind of thing. Whereas, is, I suppose Leo's kind of doing the same, but it's still not really that great to watch. So, yeah, fair enough. If somebody's doing that kind of, going that, that method, and it's, it's just going to be sprinkling on top of their performance. Like, he'd done this for a while, and oh, did you also know that he was like this entirely on set, and that's how he immersed himself so much in the character? You think, that's good. But if it's not that great to watch, and it's like, well, he'd done this and he'd done that, it's kind of like, all right. I, I, I don't know why, but I'm, yeah. all, I'm, all I'm thinking about is when John McGlynn was Hearts manager and people go, oh, but he's the hardest working manager around. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that doesn't make him any good. I, I remember that. That was when uh, that, the, the Daily Record did that horrendous Albion Rovers documentary and it was, was like, oh, Brian Kerr's the hardest working man in football. It's like, he's a part-time manager. They go and see, there'll be fucking dozens of managers in Scottish football that are, that are equally as hardworking. It's... Aye, just because you're, you're hard-working doesn't, uh, doesn't mean you make you some criticism. Although, Daniel Day-Lewis, just to bring it back onto the, the top of actors, he thoroughly deserved his Oscar in 2007 for the role of uh, Daniel Plainview, in my opinion. Yep. Did you like The Revenant, Fowler? It's all right. Yeah, that was like, uh, it's pretty indifferent. There's yeah. lots of like shots of like the the sky and trees and stuff and just like yeah we get it this film's two and a half hours long move it move yeah, it up. and also easy. I had to put the subtitles or I had no fucking clue what anything Tom Hardy was saying it's like easy his, to uh, lose lose attention it's like his turn and uh, the Dark Knight Rises they had to they, when they re- released that it was like a five minute promotional trailer of the opening scene where the, the plane gets hijacked in midair which is pretty spectacular actually very flawed movie uh, Dark Knight Rises and one I would actually like us to talk about at some point but the Bane's voice, Tom Hardy's voice, he's got that mask. It was so muffled and it tested quite poorly with audiences that uh, we had to redo it to, to, to uh, process it again. And so he sounded more human, but he sounded like you might, you might as well not put the mask on him in the first place. But that's, uh, we'll save that for a couple of weeks down the yeah. line when we talk. Discussion, about- discussion for another time, but I can't believe Dark Knight Rises is 8.4 out of 10 on IMDb. It's like, fucking what? Right. Next time we're doing this, Fowler, we'll do the Dark Knight Rises. But... But 
when we first set out to do these movie reviews, so a couple of weeks ago, this movie we're about to talk about, I'm not just saying this, this is my number one movie for discussion. So I'm delighted that Mr. Joel Sked suggested this today. Via Robert Bovrick. Ah, whatever, he's not here to defend himself. So Joel <laughs> Sked suggested this today. Now, dinosaurs have roamed the earth. <laughs> Of the world. Actually, I knew we were coming on to me, just you'd say that intro, I got excited. Uh, the first period was millions and millions of years ago. The second was in the mid-90s after the release of Jurassic Park. Now, I think we can unanimously agree that Jurassic Park is not just one of the great action movies. It is perhaps one of the very best movies of all time, if not the best. Certainly Masterpiece. Five. Joe, I know you love it. It's, it's your favourite movie. Um, Fowler and Craig Cairns, I don't know if, 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 you, if you hold it in the same high regard as we do. It's in my top five. Uh, not quite, but yeah, it's, it's obviously no, a great movie. Yeah. Right. Shouldn't have bored. So, the kids, right. so anyway, three quarters, 75 percent. to come on and agree. <laughs> five out of five, it's brilliant. Five <laughs> thank you, thank you, Craig. No worries. When it comes to the first Jurassic Park film, all I want is agreement on how great a fucking film it is. Okay. Uh, I mean, it's like it's Steven Spielberg's 1993 classic. It is a world class, uh, world class experience. So the set pieces are some of the most memorable, certainly that I've ever seen in cinema. So many good moments in it. Uh, the music, big characters, and the themes about man interfering with nature. It's like I say, one of my top five movies. Can I just time. can I just interject before we move on, uh, Telfer? with uh, coming back to Sean on the last, with the last time Sean was on when he talked about Dennis Nedry slipping and the noise. Aye. The, 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 so I went back this morning because I didn't realise they're on uh, Amazon Prime. So I went back to that. Uh, I, had, I wanted to check something about what we were going to talk about later on. But I went and looked or heard and listened to that moment. And yeah, there's a very, very faint noise of uh, kind of uh, slipping <laughs> noise. But I don't know. I think it might. My only uh, thing is, is he's holding on to the rope uh, from the bottom of the car to tie around. So no, it would make, make a noise. It would make a noise. Yeah, so like, he uh, slips and lets go, go off that. So I'm thinking that's, that's the noise. Aye. Um, so fuck so, you, Sean. Sean McGoing's a wee bit older than us. You know, he, he hears things differently to, 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 to the rest of us. Now, Jurassic Park was so successful at the box office that Michael Crichton, who wrote the book in which the movie was based, was encouraged to write a sequel. That sequel was published in 1995, and it was developed into a movie in 1997. And it is that movie that we are going to discuss today. We are going to look back at Steven Spielberg's The Lost World, Jurassic Park. Now, this movie focuses on Dr. Ian Malcolm, played uh, by Jeff Goldblum, who leads a team of scientists to Isla Sorna, which was the second island where the company engine bred the dinosaurs and took them over to Jurassic Park. He's leading a team of scientists here in order to study them to, to, to perhaps petition to turn the island into a nature reserve. However, the team comes into um, contact with the villainous InGen Corporation, who are also visiting the island for their own nefarious purposes. Now, Joe, why did you want to watch? I think it's a great shout, and, and I think it's a brilliant one for discussion. Why did you want to talk about the Lost World Jurassic Park? Because, like, touching what you said about Jurassic Park is that it's one that's just going to get unanimous agreement about how good it is. And we'd all just be, just if we did that, just uh, rehashing our favourite moments and stuff. But uh, I think Jurassic Park 2, 
the Lost World is there is a lot to enjoy, yes. but then they are uh, interspersed with moments where it's just like uh, just ridiculous or just played over the top. But yes. I think there is a lot to like from it. I, just, I think it's just a really fun movie, which has moments which you aren't very good. <laughs> well, that's, 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 that's a good place to start then. Uh, I'll go to yourself, Fowler. What did you, what did you enjoy about the movie? Uh, there's certain parts of the, the movie that I really enjoyed. So actually, I got to about 50, coming up for about 50, 55 minutes, but I was actually thinking, wow, like I, I enjoyed The Lost World when I was younger. I knew it was anywhere good as Jurassic Park, but I did, I did think it was a good film. And I was watching it, but I was thinking, Jesus Christ, I'm not enjoying this at all. Like, like look at my, my watch, thinking like, maybe will I just watch the rest tomorrow morning? Cause it's like later on, later on Friday, it's like, I could be doing better things right now. Uh, I was having a glass of wine as well, so I can just listen to music and chill out rather than fucking put myself through writing notes for this. But then from like, Around 50 minutes to about an hour and a half, I just thought it was a, a brilliant action film. Oh. It just, it's just relentless, and there's, so many, there's just so many great scenes, I think, within it. Overall, a, a flawed movie, and uh, certainly bits, especially early on, uh, where you can see so, see the, so see much the, out. You're, you're talking about 55 minutes in. It's, is that the bit where the, the Engine Corporation and Jeff Gold and, and Ian Malcolm's team sort of have, are forced to come together? It's, well, it's just before that. It's the start. Uh, it's the it's when they let the dinosaurs loose. Uh, so they take them out of the cages. Uh, it's because the triceratops running through the tent is quite a cool scene. And then they're all kind of scrambling about and dinosaurs are going everywhere. And then that's when the T-Rex attack happens. And from that point up until uh, the dinosaur uh, getting killed by gymnastics, I think it's a very good film. Uh, yeah. But other than that, there's just there's so much baggage early on that just doesn't need to be there. Like... The, basically, the big exposition scene with John Hammond, uh, the like talking to the junior executive. They've seen him on the fucking subway. They've seen him, his daughter moaning at him for being a bit of an absentee dad. Uh, the daughter character could just uh, fuck off entirely. It, it doesn't need to be there. You know uh, that, that was sort of repeated. That that is something I, I know. It's sort of trying to be a, a different movie from Jurassic Park, but I, I think it's inescapable since it's like a direct sequel to it. it sort of followed the same sort of themes. Is the previous one, like where Dr. Alan Grant, who is kind of by his own admission really crap with kids, you know, doesn't want to be with them. There's that. There's a great scene in the first Jurassic Park where the the two the two jeeps are just outside the visitor centre and about to take them in, and Dr. Alan Grant goes into the one. The wee boy follows him. Alan Grant gets out, and the wee boy follows him out. Yeah. You know, and they end up they end up sort of being in, in the same cars, and it's all about his his growth as uh, and he sort of takes on these final instincts. I thought that the sort of themes were quite similar to, to the two movies. Uh, the yeah. big, the, but there was sorry, there was less point in them in this movie. I thought it just you could have got rid of it. The, the big thing for me that I noticed early on was Jeff Goldblum's character is when you go back to Jurassic the first Jurassic. Just call part, him Jeff Goldblum. He's playing Jeff Goldblum, so just call him Jeff Goldblum. <laughs> So, yeah, Jeff Goldblum playing Jeff Goldblum is Ian Malcolm. Uh, you, what, the first time you see him in Jurassic Park is he is this kind of uh, um, almost anarchist. He's, he's, he plays on the edge. He's very fun-loving. It's that. Well, the first time you see him, he does. He, he's very inquisitive. He's quite playful. And he does that laugh, which I'm not going to do, but a couple of my mates can do <laughs> very, very well. Mm. And it's just it's just so good. You get, you, you get this... Um, this this person who wants to 
I think who really enjoys agitating people or rubbing people up the wrong way. Then it switches to the start of Jurassic Park 2 and he is noticeably different from the start. There's no longer... To be fair, he has experienced, he was almost killed by a T-Rex. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So you have kind of jaded. sympathy with him in that regard. He still, he still comes out with the quips all the time, even uh, yeah. when they're still in like mortal peril. That was one of those, oh, fuck off. Don't, don't, don't need to quip at this. You and your pals are about to be attacked by a, a giant dinosaur. He's, he's also just found his girlfriend's backpack, obviously fearing that she might be dead because she's left it, especially since it's torn as well. And uh, Vince Vaughn's character shouts Sarah Harding and he turns around and says, how many Sarahs do you think are on this island? That was quite funny. I it's funny that. light, but it's like one of these things where he's just like, you should be, you should be concerned with other things right now. The way the bit of the movie is really funny. It's the bit where, and this is, this was, I think it was just before the movie began to sort of go off the rails a bit, the, the bit where they get attacked by the raptors, but it's a bit where they sort of pitch up at the river set, the, 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 the research center. Jeff Goldblum opens a door and goes through it. A raptor jumps through the window next to it, and then Jeff Goldblum opens the door again <laughs> and runs back through it immediately. <laughs> Oh, that bit was uh, that bit was really funny. Uh, one of the things that, that that I thought was quite interesting is the the, the start of the movie. Um, and the, the movie begins uh, as a wealthy family's yacht docks on Isla Sorna. There's a little girl who wanders off and is attacked by the Compsognathus. There's a wee group of apparently like a little cat-sized dinosaurs. And the woman as well, by the way, Camilla Bell was the name of the actress, who's turned into a very good-looking woman, by the way. Uh, check her out. Um, but you compare that to the first Jurassic Park, the scene where you first see the dinosaurs is one of, like we talked about memorable set pieces, the scene where Alan Grant takes off his sunglasses and takes Ellie Sattler's head in the car and twists it and she gets out of the car and you both see the brontosaurus sort of up on its back, uh, its hind leg, the music and everything. That's an absolute sensational part. And then you see the dinosaurs in this, dinosaurs in, in the Lost World, fucking tiny wee dinosaurs. Like just just these wee things, and I kind of thought that it's just not a very. I, I, I don't know what the, the thinking was behind that, but just in terms of the, the sense of scale and the sense of wonder, it started off. It started off quite ominous as well because before you introduced to the family, the waves are crashing into the the island, and the waves sound like they're basically making dinosaur noises. Ah, oh, that's, 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 that's interesting. I, I, I didn't notice that. One thing I didn't notice, though, the children in the movie, so you've got the wee girl who feeds, who ends up getting attacked by the cops. No Pardon? There's no fear from any of the kids. That's yeah. It, yeah, that's it. So the wee boy, a, a, a T-Rex is in his back garden. This is, we're skipping a wee bit towards the A T-Rex is in his back garden and he goes and wakes his parents up. Yeah. I don't <laughs> like, there's a dinosaur in the garden. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's his delivery. That's his dad. He's, he's spot on, Fowler. There's a dinosaur in the back garden. It was like when Jeff Goblin found that pack that you were talking about, the backpack, and the way he shouts Sarah just isn't convincing at all. It's like he's not... Sarah! Sarah. Sarah. That's, that's all it seems like. And to go back to the scene that uh, Fowler was talking about, that was one of the things I'd put in my notes when he first meets his daughter. Now, the, the purpose of that is to show that he isn't a very good father. Like, he's not... Maybe not, not a good father, but he, she wants him to be more that. strict and all this kind of stuff. And it, it just feels like what kid would go to their dad and say, you don't ground me enough? It just, it just felt like there could have been a better way of describing their relationship than her just kind of laying it out like that. There's also, to me, like I mentioned before, there's just no purpose to this being in the film. It is, there's not really any sort of resolution. It just kind of dies away. Yeah, it's, it's all set up for the gymnastics payoff, isn't it? It's so yeah. you can that joke about how she got dropped from the gymnastics team. 
I, that's that's one of the things that I, I did quite like. I actually put this put this in. A lot of the stuff is set up and then paid off. So, for instance, Kelly, they mentioned she gets cut for the gymnastics team, and although it's a terrible scene, she defeats a raptor using gymnastics. Hey you, so it's a bit where Dieter starts. Yeah. Hey you, and then the the raptor turns off. It's like who me. <laughs> I had that in my notes as well. It's like, <laughs> Raptors respond to hate you. Yeah. <laughs> That's ridiculous. It's a bit where she looks at the bars and then she starts doing a routine. It's like she fucking starts doing a routine. So the Raptor is pretty much, so the Raptor and Sarah Harding have effectively stopped to watch, to wait while she gets up to speed before she fucking kicks this dinosaur onto a pole. That was ridiculous. But the bits that were set up and paid off, um, there's a bit where Dieter Stark is played by Peter Stromer, who actually doesn't really do much in the movie, in fact. He's, actually- He's basically there to be a dick in some scenes and to get eaten in one of the most, uh, prob- maybe the most chilling death scene, I think, of maybe the entire run of Jurassic Park. It's when he stuns the dinosaur. You know, he, he, right at the start of the movie, there's a, he got like an electric prod. Yeah. He stuns one of the dinosaurs. Uh, and then of, of later on in the movie, he goes for a he goes for a piss miles away from everybody else. Yeah, it's like a, I'm not sure this character cares that much about people seeing him pissing. Exactly, you're stopping for five minutes, so he wanders wanders away from everyone else. Tells a guy who's got his headphones in that he's away. Why does he go to? Nobody cares. Go for a piss in the tree. But anyway, he gets attacked by the Compsognathus, and you're right, Phil. There's a horrible bit where one of them bites his lip. Yeah, which is that, really unpleasant. It's a properly uh, disturbing scene. Uh, then, of course, there's a bit where Vince, Va- where Vince Vaughn, is, who's, I hate Vince Vaughn, absolutely cannot stand him as an actor, is talking to Pete Postlewaite, who is actually the best thing in the movie. He's, he's talked to Pete Postlewaite about his gun and, and the, the symbolism of it, and of course he tampers with it and stops him from, from killing uh, the, the T-Rex. But did Pete Postlewaite only bring two bullets to this <laughs> He steals two bullets and that's it. He has to tranquilise it instead. My only bullets will need to go back if I've left my bullets at home. I have uh, Vince Vaughn as this environmentalist and uh, supposed to he be... He plays the same guy he does in Wedding Crashers. Yeah, exactly, that, that's what I'm getting to. Like, he's supposed to be like ethically sound and his approach to kind of nature and animals and all these kind of things. Yeah, they, they make him, also make him a womanizer and, well, maybe not a womanizer, but somebody who joined Greenpeace because there's more women than men in it. And he's also yeah. he's also chewing quite a lot during the film, and anytime uh, they want people to be chewing and chewing audibly, it means that, to show that they're obnoxious. Is that right? You know, they always no, do that in films. Characters that are obnoxious always chew or eat with their mouth open. Joel, you could probably say Vince Vaughn had a character. You know, had absolutely no character. Eddie. He was the guy to explain the technology. That's all he did. Oh, he right. said, no, he... This gun, this gun can do so much. These satellite receivers have got so much. He does nothing. He's the with, 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 right? Here's, here's, within a 15... here's a question, right? Say if like could you describe Ellie Sattler? Describe Ellie Sattler without saying what she looks like or what her job is. I'll ask you, Joe, go and describe Ellie Sattler without saying what she looks like or what her job is. What's her character? She's there, uh, close, she's Dr. Allegrant's love interest. <laughs> I think she's more than that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, she's she's uh, certainly enthusiastic about her work. Uh, I love dinosaurs. She's uh, got, she's, she contrasts uh, Alan Grant. Alan Grant's quite, quite uh, sceptical of a lot of uh, things, quite negative. She's the complete opposite. She's very positive. She's cheery, uh, going uh, cheery, forward. Cheery disposition, uh, pretty fearless, heroic. Right. Compare that to Eddie. 
What's Eddie's character? Thing is, well, 15 B- seconds in. dead. <laughs> <laughs> 10 seconds in, you know he's getting eaten. He's a baldy, he's getting eaten. The same, same way the guy with the glasses, the wee, um, uh, the wee engine guy. Uh, Straight away, you know, he is, he's getting eaten. He's, he's wearing big gla- glasses that are far too big for him. Specky twat, he's getting eaten. With, so- uh, with Eddie Carr, is, it's, it's hard to see him as, because like, I'm familiar with him as um, Toby from The West Wing. And he just plays the complete opposite kind of character. He just, he just no, he's just, he's just hapless. I think that's something the films suffer with. I think when I remember as a boy thinking there was a sequel to Jurassic Park, not having Dr. Alan Grant in it, I thought that was... Uh, I know he came back for Jurassic Park 3, which is... That's a, that's a discussion for another day. <laughs> but but in this, I remember thinking, why is Alan Grant not in it? He was my favourite character from the first one. Why is he not in this? Yeah. Sam Neill didn't want to be... Why? Uh, I, I don't know if he was in the book either. To be fair, I can't remember. I did read the Lost World, uh, but I can't remember who the main character was in it. I think it was it's, just seeing Malcolm again. Because when you when you think about it, uh, Hammond he criticizes the in the first step uh, in the first one he criticizes the uh, the lawyer guy for bringing uh, Jeff Goldblum, and then again that the scene from the first one he goes, "I really hate that man." So it's, it's weird that he's called on him to kind of lead up and obviously uh, his, his girlfriends his girlfriends are there but you just you're just thinking he's going to be the hardest one to kind of convince. Uh, persuade to go across there obviously the easiest actor to convince yes yeah why does um why does jeff goldblum have what kind of relationship does he have that he has no idea that his girlfriend's away on an island in the middle of nowhere he says, <laughs> but she says that he says i'm the perfect girlfriend i travel a lot so that kind of sets up that, that their relationship is a, quite a, a distant one. There isn't, a, that there isn't a, a lot going there. There's another thing, sorry, I'm just, just flicking through my notes here because the, the bit that, that really, another bit that really annoyed me, and this is, Joel, you and I have spoken about like Jurassic Park, how Jurassic Park is incredibly well written. So it's like, for instance, we talked about Dennis Nedry's motivation. Dennis Nedry's motivation is summed up in like, there's like two lines in the movie where it's when, when Dennis Nedry is having a lunch with Lewis Dodgson and Dodge, he goes, don't get it cheap in me, Dodgson. That was Hammond's mistake. So then kind of sets up that he feels slighted by John Hammond. And then later on in the movie, when they're trying to get the stuff up online, uh, John Hammond says to him, listen, your financial problems are, are, are nothing to do with me, Dennis. And so it's the idea that, that Dennis, De- Dennis is doing it for the money and he feels slighted. So you set up his motivation in about two lines. There was a bit in, in this when, when engine, when the engine helicopters, they're, they're on the Isle of Sorna, the engine helicopters are flying over and Eddie turns to, turns to Ian Malcolm and goes, why are they sending a second team? And then there's the scenes later where they've, they're catching up the dinosaurs, you know, Pete Possilway is going to go after the pompadour which I thought was quite quite a good line. Go after the pompadour, the one with the big horn. And they're looking over. They're they're standing. They're, they're, they're they seem to do a lot of watching. The the, the lads from Engine. They seem to do a lot of watching uh, while they're they're going on. And there's a bit where Vince Vaughn says, "Yeah, it was. Uh, I was expecting these guys. They're they're supposed to be here to um to, to come in and collect dinosaurs." Why do you not tell them that right at the start? It's like about when they see the helicopters flying over. Eddie goes to to Jeff Goldblum like. 
why are they sending two teams? He would go, ah, oh, yeah, I was expecting them to come. This, this is <laughs> I was and down, down the line to say, ah, oh, yes, I was expecting these guys to come. There are loads of plot holes and continuity errors in this movie, aren't there? There's um, one I, I, I read, I did a wee bit of reading and I, I, I didn't notice this one myself, but Jeff Goldblum in the first movie says that he's got three kids and then somehow he's managed to whittle that down to one for this movie. Um, what about the T-Rex... Um, it's supposed to in the first movie. It's supposed to sense movement, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. But so that's why, bit, why that's in the second movie, why uh, when Julianne Moore and the, the wee girl are sleeping and it pokes its head in and it smells the blood on her shirt or a jacket or whatever it is, mm. they move loads of times in that. Yeah, they do. They don't stay very still. But there was, there was and the, I did like in that is where Jeff Goldblum stands still. He stands still, but everyone shites it and starts sprinting away from it. And I thought that was quite a good callback to the, the to Jurassic Park. One of the great bits in Jurassic Park is where Alan Grant get distracts a T Rex with a flare, so he can get into Tim and Lex. There's a brilliant bit where, where Ian Malcolm comes out, does the same thing, throws the flare away, but the T Rex ends up chasing him. That is uh, that is really really funny, really 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 funny. Um, the, the big one of the big things for me watching uh, watching through I think you probably might not notice it if you just watch it once but watching again and again as I have done in uh, over over the over the years is the over dramatizing of the, the kind of over exaggerate everything because I wanted to go back to Jurassic Park and, and check this is when the two T Rexes are at the vans and Richard Schiff uh, is basically in, in the car and he's trying to help them is constantly there is really dramatic tense music played across all of it it's like it's not needed there's two t-rexes we know it's tense we know it's uh, dramatic because then they need to compare it to the scene you're talking about with uh, with the flares is there's no music there so all you're hearing yeah. is the actual scene the t-rex noise the cars the the rain and i think it like stuff like that takes away from it the the blood so when the guy gets um, bitten alive by all the wee things, and then there's just loads of blood just comes along the stream. It just seems that that's, that happens. There's a lot of blood there uh, in a short space of time. And then also when the guy gets bitten by the... A snake goes down his top, he runs oh, out, gets grabbed yeah. by a T-Rex. He's, and he's, then, so, he's, so, he's so afraid of snakes that he runs into the mouth of a T-Rex. Yeah, and then when you the blood just comes down the waterfall. Yeah. I just think of that line from Peep Show where Superhands is talking about snakes says red and black stay the fuck back and I suppose if a snake like that is slithered down your top you'd probably shite it as well um, so you'd rather bitten to death by a snake or bitten in half by a dinosaur it's sort of like the between that skillet and charybdis the bit Joe you were talking about is that really annoyed me is where they take the, the baby T-Rex back to their camp to, to, to fix its leg and That's the flashlight incident of uh, season one. You know something? I was thinking back to that, the, the stupid bits in Jurassic Park, it's children that are doing them. So yeah. the, bits, the bits are Lex and Tim, like Lex and Tim let off a, a flashlight in the car, right? That's because you're, you're panicking, you're stupid, you, you know? The bits where Tim won't jump off the fence, completely understandable. You know, that's actually a really good scene, there's a good bit of tension there, but he's just a wee boy, so he's not going to jump off the fence because it's a long distance. That scene when they take it back, a lot of the stuff in there that where you're kind of like you're, you're like fucking what are you doing? It's adults that are doing it, and that's the bit that 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 I kind of was, was struggling. It's like you know what? It's the T Rex has got a broken leg. Like what, who's going to take the cast off? 
when it heals, who's going to take the cast off? Who's going to do the checkups on this on this cast? You're putting a cast on that's held together with chewing gum. <laughs> Fucking chewing gum. <laughs> it's like have a have a have a think. And and that was the bit that sort of annoyed me. And it was at that point after Engine got involved, I thought that was quite a good setup. That was a good premise for the pair of them having to work together. And I did like um, sort of a bit more of, of Pete Postlewaite's character. I mentioned Tim that, that he was my, I thought he was the best thing in it. I the, thought he was excellent where he notices the blood on Sarah Hardin's jacket. Set up but, and paid off. That's yeah, he, he doesn't. He doesn't. He doesn't take, say. He doesn't say get rid of her because his his only thought is I'm hunting that T Rex oh, and it's coming exactly. to us. Exactly that scene where he's talking to Ludlow in the car and it's it's daft man. He's so he's so over the top in it. But when he's talking about like his fee, you know, and and the the, the like that's all he wants is a, a male bull T Rex and stuff. It's, it's there's so much being chucked at you and he's so he's so daft and like sort of. He's, he's a man with principles. I suppose that's the best way to, to describe him because he gets offered a job at the zoo. <laughs> and then he says, no, I've had enough of, I've had enough of uh, your sort. And he's walk, walks... He, says, he the, says, I've had enough of death. Nice. And he walks and walks with his... Uh, so that's it. Killing a T-Rex was the, the thing that, that convinced him that hunting's bad. There's, there's two scenes we haven't talked about yet. We haven't talked about the raptors in the long grass, which is great. That's very good. Very uh, good. Yeah, that's, a, that's a good scene with sort of like a... Uh, Not shot. into the long grass, and then he runs into the long grass. <laughs> <laughs> but that is good. The, 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 I think that was maybe a criticism about with the team up with engine. The en- engine lot had had quite a, a big group of people that you never introduced to. So you're watching a film again about people getting chased by dinosaurs. You know that these people are just a fodder. So all these people are in the long grass. It's a very good scene with the, the velociraptors. You just see you can't see them, but you can just see the paths they're making towards them, and they're all getting picked off one by one. That's um, I, I really really enjoyed that. But then when you get to the research centre, we kind of suppose we've talked about the the good bits in the movie, the frustrating bits in the movie. We'll talk about the the bit from the research centre, and then we'll talk about the final third. At that point, Fowler, what was the point for you? You kind of said it was at this point where you were like, ah, and I'm kind of tapping out here a wee bit. Uh, yeah, so yeah, the raptor. As soon as the raptor gets booted, even uh, to be fair, even that scene itself, I don't think so. There is that funny bit where you talked about earlier with the uh, uh, Jeff Goldblum going in uh, to the room and the raptor jumping through the window and then I'm just walking straight back out <laughs> the room again. Uh, that's quite good. But there is, that, that overall scene, there's still raptors kind of being like, like not being as uh, aggressive as they kind of were in the first film, just kind of like looking at them for a bit and just kind of like, this is a raptor, mm. it's just going to kill them right now. Like, yeah, it's not going to like do the stare off with Jeff Goldblum. They were... So, ever wait, so, to that point, up until that point, I thought the previous 40 minutes were great and then after that, it's like, it's that bit and then it's quickly over and then they're back home and then it's a stupid T-Rex running about San Diego. No, with the, the velociraptors, they, they turn from this really efficient hunting team in the long grass to just... Uh, Utterly hapless. Yeah, Benny Hill type stuff. Yeah, Keystone Cops kind of raptoring. If uh, they were just all over the place, where you, you look back to the first edge, uh, the first Jurassic Park is they struggled in the kitchen, which is understandable because they were confused by the mirrors and then the ice. So, like, kind of environments that they've uh, kind of not used to. So, it was, it was the environment that played its part. They weren't like stupid, but then. In that scene, they were just, uh, it was just, it was just, they were drunk. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's interesting you talk about that. I mean, the raptors, 
you don't see you don't see the raptors till much later on. I know the raptors the first dinosaur in Jurassic Park, but that's you don't see it. You just see a worker being pulled into it, and that's that's a, when when he's holding it down low, and then suddenly his body gets thrust upwards. And then you don't see him. It's like um, Bob Peck's character. What's his name in it? Uh, Robert Robert Muldoon. Robert Muldoon uh, is talking about the, the 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 raptors, and he's talking about how the big one. She tests it. They, they attack. They never attack the same part of the fence twice, and she's she's working it out. And there are some quite good bits when they're digging. But yeah, all that's undone. Me. <laughs> <laughs> and then, so then, so if you're kind of struggling a wee bit by this point, I, had, I actually sorry, just to keep talking about raptors. I, I had a, I had an analogy that I thought you would have quite liked. It's like uh, they kind of devalue the, the the fear of the raptor by having uh, one felled by a what a twelve year old girl, and it's kind of like. It's kind of like in wrestling. Like if you want a wrestler to be taken seriously, you can't have him be defeated by a jobber. Yeah, and then, and then the Jurassic Park, and they do a very good job of this in the, the subsequent films as well. Like telling the Raptors and rubbish. Like Alan Grant talks to them in the in the next film. Uh, in Jurassic World, they're trained, and in the Jurassic World Two, the Raptors are barely in it at all because uh, it's, it's a mega Raptor, fucking stupid, ridiculous pish. Uh, and yeah, it's like it's not just like the Raptor was defeated by a jobber; it was like defeated by a jobber's daughter. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> like you can't you can't really take it seriously after that. Aye, no, you, you're right. So un, undoes that 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 fact that bit undoes a lot of the work that that, that Robert Muldoon spent so hard <laughs> David Light for essentially set up. So the movie then takes uh takes a detour and finishes up for the final 20, 25 minutes in San Diego. One of the biggest. Craig Kerr, you talked about uh, plot holes earlier. One of the biggest plot holes in movie history. How the fuck does the T-Rex eat everybody on board that ship and put itself back in the cargo hold? Yep, yep. And leave a hand on the steering wheel of the ship yeah. without going in there as well. <laughs> uh, his head, his head would be in the door. <laughs> yeah, and not damaging anything else while in there. Yeah, I, yeah I'm not entirely sure. Ridiculous. It's not as not as ridiculous what happens. That is that was the moment for for the movie where I'd been I'd been enjoy like kind of enjoying it in that sort of daft way that, that we're kind of speaking about where it is frustrating to watch. But that was a bit where I was like, oh god, hurry up and finish. This is just this is just I'm I'm not enjoying this. Anymore. I used to really like it when I was when I watched it when I was younger. I used to really like it when they're back in uh, San Diego because as a youngster I was just kind of picturing, oh man, imagine. Imagine a dinosaur roaming about Edinburgh, be fucking magic. But then you you watch it and realise. I would I would watch the fuck out of that movie. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like you said about the hand, like they're just there's random hands and uh, arms just kicking about the the boat. Uh, it's just just ridiculous. Not as ridiculous as fucking Ludlow at the end. He's got the chance. So Jeff Goldblum and Sarah Harding jump. I keep going between the characters, the actors that play them, and the names of the characters. <laughs> <laughs> Malcolm and Julianne Moore jump off the side of the boat and Ludlow's got the chance to follow them but he goes back down to check I know it's also it's all set up pays off so that, that's that's in a way that's quite satisfying but he goes back to check on the baby T-Rex for some reason no he, he goes to try and steal it 
Aye, that's uh, for he, money. He, he says just before that he's like shoot the shoot the box, save the child. If we have the child, this whole thing can be saved because they've got a. He says that earlier as well. He says the fact that they've got a T Rex when they've lost everything else, they don't necessarily have to have a big zoo. They can just have like one attraction being the T Rex, and that's that'll save the company. So when right. he needs it, so that's by basically he's got a choice of definitely saving his life or risking it to risk his company, and he decides that his company is more important. The way he dies is the one of the most pathetic deaths of all time. No, no, <laughs> he, he, he's just running around hiding, saying no, and then he tries to run away up the stairs, and then he kind of gets caught, and he's like, "Oh no." I did. Uh, I did like the wee. Um, so I don't. I don't like the the San Diego scene uh, at all. But I did like the Japanese men running away and uh, the homage to Godzilla. And uh, according to Wikipedia, what they're actually shouting as well as we we left Japan to get away from this. <laughs> and there's a bit as well where the T-Rex and the T-Rex comes off the boat he goes past customs and there's a sort of thing that says like no an- no animals beyond yeah, this point yeah. like that. that yeah. that's, a, that's actually a good scene the boat coming towards the dock at high speed uh, like the build up on the radar kind of yeah, that's a slight rip off of Alien I would say but that kind of beep beep and getting closer and closer and then you just see it kind of coming out the mist that's pretty well done what was the message of this movie? I think the message is supposed to be, it's supposed to be the kind of whole life finds a way. Uh, it's it's very pro animals. It's it's against the kind of hunters and stuff and people who kill for sport. But that, as I kind of mentioned earlier, that kind of message gets lost a bit and the ex ex. Uh, the kind of taking them, taking them out their uh, natural environment and stuff. Yeah, yeah, aye. Like the, and there's also it just gets lost a little when the kind of Jeff Goldblum family pish that didn't really need to be anything uh, to do with this film. Yeah, John Hammond says uh, sums it up at the end, doesn't he? He gives a kind of moral of the story at the end, or a, a part of it anyway. And I, I find that a bit curious because he's the evil bastard that's setting all this up and basically sending people to their death. Well, that, Joe Jeff Goldblum says that. He says, uh, "What is it? You've gone from." Uh, capitalist to is it naturist environmentalist environmentalist in four years yeah and um yeah he's the he, he's like the morally correct one at the end of it all i thought that was a bit strange he went he went through it all eh? again it's kind of like jeff goldman's character being so jaded he's he's supposedly had the opposite he's turned him into a better human being by nearly being eaten by one of one of my favourite Hammond bits was when uh, Goblin lefts, uh, leaves his office. This is uh, at the start. And then he, he counts on his fingers because he says he's, like, he's going to send a team of four. And then obviously Mal- uh, Malcolm leaves to go and he's going to uh, bring Sarah Harden back. And then he just counts, he goes, uh, kind of just counts four on his fingers and then smiles. It's like, good, we can, we can count to four. We know there's four going. Thank you, John. Thank you. <laughs> That was my first point of all the scenes in the movie. That was probably my favourite, the bit with John Hammond and, uh, and Ian Malcolm at the start of the movie. Because I, actually, that was kind of—I really wish I was watching Jurassic Park at that point. Because the scene, although it's not as got weighty themes, are more, mostly just talking about like what had happened at the previous part. It just reminded me of that a great scene in Jurassic Park when they're at the dinner table and and like that. So Jeff Goldblum he starts hamming the desk and he's talking about pack lunches. And, and, and lunch boxes and stuff, and it's it, I like that. It was, I'd like to see more of of, of John Hammond, but yeah, because that whole scene, the only point in that scene is it's just all exposition, uh, and 
it's kind of like a crutch that a lot of filmmakers uh, kind of rely on it and can be criticised for. But I didn't mind it because it was just it was great to just see Richard Attenborough just because he really is giving it his all, even though he's only kind of brought in for these two scenes. And that yeah. scene, he really is kind of giving it everything. So it's good to watch. Aye, aye, no, I, I, I agree. I agree. It's a, it's a flawed movie, and I can understand why people were were quite cold on it or, or sort of like indifferent towards it at the time because. There, there are a lot of good bits in it, like the set pieces. The bit, in fact, I've not even mentioned it, not even really mentioned it, the, the, where the T-Rex nudges the trailers off the cliff. That's actually really good, and they're holding on to the, the, the rope, and poor Eddie is, he's got the, in fact, there's such a bad noise, he's got the car in reverse, you know, and the car is swinging from side to side as he's trying to, as he's trying to bring it under control. But there's a bit where the camera sort of moves on him. He's sitting there with one arm, like on the on the the, the window, <laughs> he's trying to do it. It's like how how do you imagine it looks so cool when you're you're stopping your friends from dying. That though that scene is is, is very good. Where um that they the basically they're hanging on the rope and the whole trailer just yeah. falls. It's really well done. Yeah, yeah that that's good. Yeah, Julian Moore on the the glass breaker as well is really good. Very yeah, good. So that's good. How it begins to slowly give way under our weight and start cracking. Under yeah. our hands, that that's that's really cool. When the when the trailer drops, the big explosion. So then you've got like tires coming up bes- beside them, but there's like an exhaust hits off the cliff face, and you just hear a clinking noise. So did you guys? So we'll just, I suppose we'll sum up then. Would did you enjoy the Lost World Jurassic Park? Yes. So. I think you compare it to like Jurassic Jurassic Park the original ones, like a like a Friday night a Friday night movie. Lost World is something you shove on Sunday morning when you're hungover, and it's just like you can just switch off to you can enjoy. There's a lot of action, there's a lot of nonsense, but you have you have to separate them in terms of one is one's a masterpiece, one is flawed but enjoyable. Yeah, it's, it's like, sort of like having having the best meal of your life on a Saturday night. And this is sort of like reheating the leftovers the next day. You'll still enjoy it. You'll still have yeah. some good here, but it's, um, aye, you'd, you'd much rather be back to Saturday night again. I'd, uh, yeah, I'd say that I, I disliked watching it more than I thought I would just because I just wasn't really a big fan of the opening 50 minutes. And I, as I've said as well, I don't, I don't like the ending. Uh, so I doubt I'd ever watch it fully all the way through again. Uh, but if I'm switching through the channels and Lost World's on and it's at any point from when the T-Rexes first turn up to the stupid gymnastics scene, then I'll definitely watch it throughout that period. So it's got re-watchable qualities to it, but I wouldn't watch the entire thing again, I don't think. So uh, a pass from, uh, a, a thumbs up for me, but not uh, too enthusiastic. Will be yourself, Craig Cairns. Yeah, I mean, echoing most of that, I'd say I, I enjoyed it mostly. It's a it's a gorgeous movie. The special effects still hold up. And yeah, so the, as you're right, the dinosaurs still look really, really good. Yeah, it's excellent. It's really well done. Obviously, I mean, we must be watching remastered uh, versions of it, but still, the, the special effects still hold up. And um, that said, it's got a lot of ridiculousness in it. But I still think there's some enjoyment to be had, even from the ridiculousness. I think when you get these kind of action movies... Part of the fun is the ridiculousness. And it, sometimes this veers into plot holes and things like that, but I, I, overall it's still a very enjoyable movie. What happened to Vince Vaughn and Jeff Goldblum's daughter when they get back to San Diego? Nothing, that's just them fine. 
Okay, well, uh, if anyone knows what happened to either of them, please get in touch with us on Twitter, Facebook, or uh, Google. Mail. Now, we'll finish we, up. We, we could finish now, because we've gone on for over an hour and a half, but it's up to yourself. Just very quickly then, what album would you recommend people listen to? <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll go, I'll go first. Mine's, uh, mine's uh, a book and an album. So I read uh, Tracy Thorne's um, autobiography, which was entitled... I should have looked this up before. Uh, Tracy, hang on. I can edit it. Maybe edit it. Do you want me to go? Aye, Joe, you go. Hang on, hang on. I've got, I've, got, <laughs> I've got it here. So her autobiography was entitled Bedsit Disco Queen. And it's uh, so Tracy Thorne is the lead singer from Everything But a Girl, uh, and it's just a, a very the girl. So Everything But the Girl, uh, and the the book is very very good. Uh, she's um, she's got a nice blend of being very kind of idealistic about her music and what she likes and what she doesn't like, but at the same time is very kind of self deprecating, a very intelligent person as well. I didn't realise that she was basically a pop star for like. Like a mid, not a huge pop star, but a midline pop star for like basically twenty years. That she was in the uh, Marine Girls before she was uh, in everything. But the girl Marine Girls was a, a kind of indie band that uh, had a kind of cult following, including uh, later in life uh, Kurt Cobain and Courtney Love, because uh, Courtney Love came and told her once on Jules Holland how much they used to listen to Marine Girls together. And yeah, it's a very enjoyable book. And then through that, I had a, a bit more of investigation into everything but the girls' uh, back catalogue. Generally, it's not for me. I think it's a little bit too minimalist in style, and I think it makes it sound a lot of it like I think even the first album and their their uh, most uh, kind of beloved album, the one with Missing on it, it came out about thirteen years later. I think I don't think stylistically there's a whole lot of difference for me to really like it, but I do really like the nineteen eighty six album, Baby the Stars Shine Bright. Where oh, there's song it called uh, Cross My Heart in it. Yes. Yeah, that's amazing, man. That's like, I was actually going to say that's a, that's a really, really lovely, that's a lovely song. Yes, and that's the that's the album where they do a bit more experimentation with kind of a, a bigger sound. Uh, so they use a lot of uh, or- orchestral stuff and a lot of like saxophone, uh, violins, uh, trombone, stuff like that, and uh, create like a wall of sound on some songs. And it, I kind of prefer that to kind of, like I say, their uh, typical minimalist approach. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a good challenge. You should have a really good turn on the Paris match with the Style Council. Highly recommended. Joel Sked, you were champing at the bit to jump over old man Fowler there in his rickety memory. What, uh, what would you recommend? <laughs> U2's Europa. That's a great album. Look, you're, 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 <laughs> it's not. It's not the one. It's not the one I'm recommending. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because I seen I seen you post about it yesterday or another day. Uh, the, the the album I'm talking uh, the album recommend there's two uh, from 2020 that I've been switching between but I'll go for Vistas everything changes in the end this is a throwback to my music taste when I was in my early 20s and it's still my music taste now it's just very easy indie very summery they're an Edinburgh band it's their debut album I've seen them a couple of times they're really good sorry Joe you've got a Vistas t-shirt that you wore on a view for the terrace I do have a Vistas t-shirt that I wore and uh, I am purchasing a second one for when we go back onto uh, a view from the terrace god so yeah what a day that'll be honestly yes like a dog with two dicks it's 45 minutes it's just it's, it's fast paced it, like I say it's just very easy easy listening what was the album called? everything changes in the end 
Now, uh, Craig Cairns, you have to pick something that's got the word everything in it now to keep the theme going. <laughs> what, is your, what is your recommendation? Sorry to let you down. I, I took this to mean just anything to listen to. So I've got a podcast, but I can do, I've got a backup. No, 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 podcast is fine. Okay, I'll be listening to Talk Media. It's a relatively new podcast from Stuart Cosgrove and Eamon O'Neill. Basically, the BBC mm. kind of restructured, BBC Scotland restructured their radio output. Uh, a couple of months ago, and they ditched what I thought was one of the best things they had. Every Thursday lunchtime, they had the, the media review with Stuart Cosgrove and Eamon O'Neill and, and, and another guest. And they've basically just taken that format and made it into a podcast um, and getting rid of the time constraints. And John Beatty has made it all the better. So they, um, as the title suggests, it just takes a look at the big stories, but from the perspective of how the media have covered them. I've seen I've seen a few people talk about it on Twitter and it's it's got good uh, a lot of people have been talking positively about it so I'm definitely one I'm going to check out. Yeah, it's really good. So um, like this week they were talking about uh, the latest developments with Prince Andrew, uh, obviously the George Floyd protests, and then you got a couple of weeks ago they were talking about like uh, Dominic Cummins and how the media kind of covered that. It's 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 a really uh, really interesting podcast. No, very good. So I think it was Ali Palmer tweeting about it. Yeah, that's that's where I saw it from. Um, so I, uh, my, my recommendation, I am in the process of, like, I've, I got my walls painted in my flat uh, back in like October, and so I've, I basically I took this stuff down on the walls and I haven't put it back up, so I'm going to redecorate, and one of the things I like doing is putting like vinyls up on the wall, so I, I recently bought some of my favourite albums, so there we go, I've got uh, Bruce Springsteen, Darkness in the Edge of Town, which is probably one of the coolest album covers of all time. Um, we have as Joe, one of Joel Skeb's recommendations, Zoropa by U2, very, very good album. Also have The Unforgettable Fire by U2, this is my favourite U2 album. I actually had this in vinyl, but there was a wee rip uh, where the price tag was, so I just I bought it again, I just wanted it nice for the walls. My favourite album of my teens, Lifts Your Skinny Fist Like Antennas to Heaven by Godspeed You Black Emperor. Highly recommended. But the one I'm going to recommend today, and I think this was released in 2015, and I think it is as relevant now as it was then, is To Pimp a Butterfly by Kendrick Lamar. Now, I got this when it came out. I think it was safe to say it got a, a incredible reviews across the board. Um, and, and I remember buying it on, on iTunes and thinking, this really isn't for me. It sounds flabby. It's over long. It's, there's too much going on. Uh, but there was something about it that encouraged me to go back and listen to it. And it wasn't until about six months later, uh, just before Christmas, that it all clicked. And I realized that it's one of the best albums I've ever listened to. It's absolutely astonishing. And particularly about the, as you mentioned, the George Floyd um, protests after his murder, there's a level of anger. And I really think that he was talking about was it Trayvon Martin that, that was that, that had been murdered I think it was like 2014 and he gets referenced a lot on Pimp a Butterfly I think that um, this is a, as that a lot of the themes that, that Kendrick Lamar uh, raps about are still relevant I'd, I'd, if you want a song off it I'd highly re- recommend The Black of the Berry which is just uh, four absolutely extraordinary minutes about blackness in modern United States and racism within between black people yeah 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 no it's it's, uh, it's really I think it's when he's doing I so, so I there's a bit where it breaks down he talks about like N-E-G-U-S he's talking about sort of like where where the word um, 
uh, c- came from. So yeah, ten out of ten album, man. It's absolutely. So I think you can listen to it so many different times, and you'll still get new stuff from it. Really recommend it. So I think that's this is is this we're on course to to do to record the longest pop culture podcast of all time. Yes, that's what happens when Jurassic Park two or just Jurassic Park is brought onto the brought onto the table. Yeah, I I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed that. Uh, so that was, that was really good. That was really good. What have you got planned for the rest of the day? I'm hopefully, it's weather shit, but I'm hopefully going to go down to a brewery in Edinburgh, which are, I've got a nice wee setup to get some beer. Brilliant. Is it Brewdog down at the Cowgate? No. <laughs> yeah, that's a shame. They do really nice laggers. Uh, Craig Cairns, what you got on? I'm working, mate. No, man. Snap. Same as myself. Fowler, go and rescue us from this Brewdog work hell. I don't have anything planned at the moment. So I might just chill out and play FIFA, watch the Freiburg game at half two, and that's about it. Like sands of time through the hourglass, these truly are the days of our lives. So I really <laughs> thank everyone for listening to the show. It was good fun to record, and I hope that comes across when you give it a go. Uh, please um, subscribe to Terrace Podcast on Twitter, at Terrace Podcast. Um, if you want to send us an email, terracepodcast at gmail.com. Um, join the Patreon uh, there's some good podcasts going up there particularly uh, and I'm not just saying this because I'm on it um, or because I've not listened to any other ones but myself and Sean McGuigan talking for 100 minutes about the Scottish Lower League so if you can if you can stomach that you can just about stomach anything say goodbye 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 bye Social Podcast Network. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.